Hey, thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. If you like this episode, please follow us and tell one of your colleagues about the interview you're about to hear or have heard in the past. We hope you enjoy our conversations and that you'll listen to others in our library. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please reach out. We'll do our best to incorporate them. Thanks again. Hello. Today's conversation will take us into the field of retail commercial real estate. And we probably can't find a better person to talk about it than Alana Loeffler, a managing director with Cushman & Wakefield, who has recently moved to the West Coast to help lead the business strategy group within the firm's America's Retail Services. Alana will go into detail about the industry, its drivers and influences, and how the new normal of our post-COVID world has been helping accelerate trends in retail and beyond. Thank you for joining us for this intriguing conversation and welcome to the podcast, Alana. Alana, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Vlad. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, Alana, I ask all of the guests on our podcast to you know say a few words and introduce themselves uh, to the audience. So I'll give you that same opportunity. Tell us a little bit about you know, your path to Cushman and Wakefield and this this role that you have today and sort of how how your career led you to where you are. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, I'm Alana Leffler, Managing Director of Business Strategy for the America's Retail Services team at Cushman and Wakefield. Um, I've been in the commercial real estate industry since 2006, which I can hardly believe I'm saying, um, but I started out in marketing and advertising in New York City, um, I worked in residential, retail, and commercial real estate. Um, it was really sort of a grassroots role. It was a small organization. There were less than 20 of us, so we had to wear many different hats. And as I look back, I think that's where a lot of my um, problem-solving skills probably came from. But um, one of the things we really had to be able to do was know different submarkets of New York City really, really well for each project. So we could really serve our client to the best of our abilities. And we had to understand everything from new residential towers coming in, the timing of them, um, new stores that popped up in shopping districts and who yeah. L was. Yeah. And even trending restaurants in the area and just have a lot of knowledge about um, the market, the history of the area, the clientele. So I remember literally like walking the streets, drawing my own map of the market with every business and building on it. And, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think I was also taking stock in the consumer and studying them, um, seeing what they responded to. And I have to say, it kind of really came in handy as I pivoted into retail real estate fully at Cushman and Wakefield. Um, they were one of my clients at the time, and they just thought there'd be some great synergy with me coming in house. And so, that really kind of set me up for success at Cushman and Wakefield, and um, especially as I started working with more brands and their store strategy. Um, so I've been with Cushman for 10 years now, um, another milestone I can hardly believe to yeah. say. Out. <laughs> um, but in that time, I've moved through the ranks. I started in marketing in New York. I moved up to the America's Retail Platform in 2015, running marketing, communications, and PR, um, and then for the last few years, I've been really focused on business development and client strategy. So um, most of my tra tra transitions have been pretty organic. And one role has led to the next. Um, I do a lot of work now with new and emerging brands on their brick and mortar strategy. Okay. Yep. 
Um, and I work closely with our real estate consulting lead. His name is Jim Kierski, and um, we really focus on helping clients understand what data they should be harnessing in their approach. Um, we also look at identifying the purpose of their physical store and how it fits into their existing sales channels, um, helping them define their revenue goals and what that means for their real estate. So, you know, understanding store lease terms and what their build out expenditures should be uh, right. and helping them understand their supply chain growth, you know, as they build brick and mortar stores that changes and there's a broader network they have to consider. So, yeah. So there's a lot in the way of that, maximizing the customer experience. And I also bring in the right experts who can really get down in the weeds on each of these different areas for them and support from a service line perspective. So um, it's been really, really interesting. I also work with our brokers to pitch large agency leasing assignments, uh, working with landlords. And we're seeing a lot in the mall repositioning space right now. Um, so it's been a lot of fun, always learn something new with each project and client. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to be in any other industry or, or uh, product type, I should say, uh, in real estate. It's pretty cool. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a resounding sort of, uh, you know, you know, support for that. Uh, um, <laughs> we'll get into a little bit of some of your work with the um, digitally native sort of brands and how they're going into the brick and mortar space. I do uh, just quickly want to uh, follow up on a, you know, a couple of items. You're, you're based on the West Coast, but your, but your area of coverage is um, national, international. Is that, is that correct? My coverage is national. Yes, I, I moved to uh, Northern California a few years ago from New York. So um, definitely a change of scenery, but uh, equally as beautiful, if not more so. And I just have to say the weather is like fantastic here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my focus is national. And um, I also connect with our international colleagues in Europe, overseas, in Canada, um, help to connect the dots between our brokerage teams, um, between our clients, so that you know we can make some seamless transitions for them. And um, you know, I work with local brokers down in the markets as well on specific projects when they come about. So um, a, lo a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting areas. Wonderful, wonderful. So let me start off with um, a little bit of kind of like the primer on the industry, if you will. So the real estate, sorry, the retail uh, sort of sector of the real estate industry has been impacted quite substantially since COVID. But to a large degree, it's also uh, done a very good job in terms of, you know, coming back and repositioning and resetting itself, right? You know, here we are, we're talking here at the end of the you know year here in 2022, so fourth quarter. How would you describe what's happening in the industry today? Yeah, um, I love talking about the story of retail real estate right now. Um, it's, an, it's an interesting one, and I think you kind of have to go back a little bit, maybe seven to ten years to really get the full scope of where we are today. But, you know, back about ten years ago, we were seeing consumer preferences just beginning to start to shift, you know, consumers didn't necessarily know what they wanted, but they were ready for that next evolution of the shopping experience. Um, traditional retail channels will, were beginning to get stagnant, you know, department stores, we had kind of seen they were losing their allure with their tried and true consumer base. Um, we were hearing things like dead malls or the retail apocalypse. I remember those headlines were just jarring at the time. And 
a lot of stores were closing, etc. So the industry was definitely ready for a change before COVID. Um, we also started seeing the rise in direct-to-consumer retail around that time, but we didn't really know what effect it was going to have on the broader industry. You know, we knew about Warby Parker and Bonobos and um, Outdoor Voices and Glossier as sort of like the poster brands for these types of direct-to-consumer retailers that were coming into brick and mortar. Um, and then, you know, Fast forward to the pandemic, we had a lot of vacancies hit the market. Um, we also saw a slew of new business startups hit the retail landscape. I think we were up about 200% in 2020 um, over what we would normally see year over year for new business. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and this is new, like 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 innovative brands, new sort of uh, concepts? Yeah, exactly. I mean, all different facets between you know new and interesting products. Um, services that they were offering, uh, people, you know, lost their jobs, especially on the retail side, because we saw we saw a lot a lot um, being affected there, and they were getting creative. Uh, there was a fairly low barrier to entry online. You know, it's pretty easy to start a website these days and start a business there. So I think we we're seeing a lot of that take shape. And then at the same time, e-commerce was just skyrocketing. You know, everybody was at home buying online and having their items shipped to their to their home. So um, you know, that kind of success, I think, drew attention to a lot of venture, venture capital firms to put their additional money into these new brands. Um, and so then, you know, fast forward, here we are today. The pandemic is finally in the rearview mirror to, to some extent. You know, retail is continuing to evolve. We've got some really exciting new brands and products and services that are transforming the shopping experience, the current landscape, they're breathing life back into some dated shopping centers or, you know, just malls that lost some tenants in 2020. So um, we we saw some shockingly strong results last year. There was a huge flight to quality in the real estate side, you know, kind of like a space grab for all the best retail locations that were available. Okay. Yep might not usually see in the market. So, um, you know, brands were taking note of that. They were jumping on those hot spots that they had heard about or seen, but maybe wouldn't have come up. Um, and then that that um, that strength carried into 2022. We've had the best net absorption of retail space since 2017. Um, the national average in retail vacancy is the lowest it's been in 15 years, which is kind of crazy to say. Okay, um, yep. And then we've seen an increase in, uh, nationally, we've seen an increase in retail asking rent uh, up by over 5% this year. Um, you know, foot traffic has remained fairly steady. I think we saw a little bit of a dip um, in September, October timing, but the holidays are really, are really um, moving, that, moving that up. And then, you know, more stores are still opening than closing. So, um, so it's a positive time and um, we're watching things like, you know, gas prices, inflation, mall recovery. Sure. Yep. And we've got, you know, urban retail will probably continue to lag, um, but it should improve. You know, we're starting to see international tourism come back, return to office just keeps growing. Um, and we're also seeing local commerce, especially in the tertiary markets in the suburbs that's thriving right now. Um, so it, it's an exciting time for retail and I think it took a lot to get us here and, um, the pandemic accelerated a lot of trends that, you know, maybe we're starting, we're starting to see. Um, and then, you know, as we head into the recession, there will probably be some retail categories that will do better than others. Um, 
you know, luxury is doing fabulously. And I think, you know, that will hold well through a recession given their affluent consumer base. Um, value, I think, is also going to hold really strong um, and do really well going into next year. I think it's really that middle uh, that we're going to see soften. You know, that mid-level consumer might start to change their behaviors and shift to more of a value spend um, as they look to, you know, purchase new items, whether that's in the grocery space or or apparel. Um, and of course, the restaurant industry has been through a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah, they've, yeah. They've been really rebuilding. Um, and I think they might have some trouble next year, too, because, you know, people might shy away from dining at expensive restaurants a little bit more. But, um, right. but we're all, you know, really optimistic. Yeah. Some of the some of the uh, things you were saying earlier on about, you know, high occupancy, which is leading to, you know, an increase in rental rates also, um, is that also a function of, and, and I don't know this, so uh, this is not supposed to be a trick question, but <laughs> is that also because, um, y- you know, we've gotten rid of some of the, you know, old malls from 10 plus years ago that weren't working? Um, is there less inventory in terms of space? Or um, is just a retail sector is kind of growing in a, in a in a sort of a new way that maybe you know it's 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 found it's sort of a you know rejuvenate itself if you will here post uh, post COVID. Yeah, you know that's a great question. Um, I don't have any real stats to support it, but I think um, you know we're not seeing a lot in the way of new development. Um, for retail, I mean, we're seeing a lot in the mixed-use space. So retail, uh, there's there's a component of that that we're seeing that's growing. But in terms of malls, I think you're right. You know, we've got we've gotten rid of malls. We're repositioning a lot of malls for other uses. You know, we're we're finding other uses, whether that's across office or industrial um, or um, you know, looking at it in a new way for medical retail, healthcare. Um, so I think that's probably one of the reasons. And we are seeing um, brands continue to grow. We're seeing an optimization of footprints, I think, especially on the more traditional retail level where, you know, you've, you see brands who have a well-established network and they've got, you know, 250 plus locations are starting to reevaluate, but not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily translate to closing stores. And so I think the demand is just there and, you know, we're, mo- we're moving full steam ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then you also mentioned uh, the central business districts um, might be lagging a little bit. And that's, you know, obvious because I guess people are not going back to the offices quite as much yet, right? Uh, the neighborhood uh, sort of shopping, you know, whether they're power centers or sort of, uh, you know, smaller kind of, you know, re- retail areas seem to be doing really well. Is that primarily because of, you know, people working from home and having this flexibility to kind of be everywhere? Um, or, or are there other sort of drivers to that? Yeah, you know, I think that's definitely a big component. We are still seeing growth in the return to office, and we do think that that's going to continue into next year. Um, some urban cities more so than others. Um, New York, for example, is really leading that charge, and we are seeing recovery quicker there. Um, but there, w- there were a lot of migration shifts during COVID, um, especially I like to call it I like to call it the smile state. So if you look at a map of the U.S. and you start it in California, maybe around L.A. and just go down and around and up yeah. to York and Boston, you know, those areas, especially in the Sunbelt region, um, South Florida has 
We've seen um, be incredibly strong in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, um, Austin, Nashville, pretty much all of Texas. Uh, you know, those areas, especially also those that have been heavily mall focused in those areas, we've seen a shift to more high street locations for brands. Um, and so, and especially, you know, we look at the luxury market where, you know, if they're entering the U.S. and, and trying to find their best locations, they might predominantly go to a few of the core key cities. And now they're thinking of these tertiary markets. They're thinking bigger and they're understanding that they need to meet their customer where they are now and where they are now is, you know, in these other regions. So, um, so it's definitely changed. Yeah. As you've seen some of these, you know, new stores and new brands open up, uh, you know, you mentioned there was quite a bit of, um, you know, investment also in this, in this space. Um, how are they looking at the, you know, the, the old sort of you know, traditional brick, brick and mortar world and, and not just them, but also some more established, you know, online brands that we all know, right? Uh, like the Warby Parkers and the Shinolas and that kind of stuff. Um, how are those brands thinking about, you know, brick and mortar, right? Because they're sort of going the opposite way. You know, they were in a brand before they started off as a sort of digitally native brand, but now they're realizing they have to be in physical locations also, right? Tell us a little bit about that and, and how that's evolved over the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, these brands, um, they're incredibly tech savvy. They're sophisticated online marketers. Um, they've just got a tremendous amount of knowledge and data um, on their consumer, having spent their lifetime online and being able to track how their customers move through their website interact with products, make purchases. Um, they learn a lot about their customer demographics, where they live. And so, you know, for the last few years, we've definitely seen a material trend of these brands looking to open brick and mortar locations. Um, so much so that actually our team at Cushman and Wakefield recognized a real need to put more of a structured program together for them um, to really help them address their key considerations and walk them through the real estate process. So, um, you know, I think the risk tolerance might be going down a little bit from capital investors right now, just kind of being uh, tempered by, by you know, the talks of the recession. And what's sure. Yep. Um, so there might be some bumps in the road in the near future for them. But I think that almost makes it even more important for them to have a clear roadmap of their long term business goals, um, you know, grounding that plan in data and analytics um, and having strong capital partners who are risk averse. Um, so I think, you know, it's still a really optimistic time for new brands expanding um, and they'll continue to grow if they plan correctly. But there's definitely um, some long term uh, goal planning that they should be that they should be setting right now. And then in terms of more traditional retailers um, on the digitally native side, I mean, we've seen a lot of changes in the last few years with their footprints, but, um, but generally speaking, they're still in growth mode as well. How do they prioritize, um, um, and I'm talking about the you know, digitally native brands now, how do they prioritize um, the you know, brick and mortar presence? What, what purpose does that serve for them? Well, it definitely does a few things for them. Um, and we often see as they prioritize locations, they might test with pop-ups in a new market um, to really understand more about what the role of the store is for them and how that, you know, how that can affect 
their other sales channels. Um, but their main goal is to really expand their customer base and gain visibility. Um, you know, these brands have been online and, and, you know, when you think about what goes into the customer acquisition costs online, there's only so much ad space in social, mar- social media marketing, right. um, other, you know, other ways of advertising. And so they kind of hit a ceiling at a certain point. And if they want to continue to grow, they really have to do that by expanding their sales channels and adding that brick and mortar experience. Um, it's also a great way for them to gain a more loyal customer base. So, you know, you've got your tried and true customers, but there's a whole other group of customers that they'll be able to expand to. And then having them come in and really interact with the product, get to know the brand ambassadors and really understand even more what that brand signifies, their messaging, their brand ethos, you know, it all becomes a big sort of um, movement and almost like a community feel when you um, when you're able to provide that experience. Yeah, this might be a very basic question, but I and I'm and I'm sure you you know this is something that you you know do every day. But is there is there a wrong way to do it? Is there a right way to do it? I'm sure there is, but I'd love to hear sort of you know what what you think about that. Well, we hear a lot. We've 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 worked with a lot of different brands, and sometimes we'll hear that you know we want to enter this market because I have a feeling about it. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Right. And or, you know, our CEO loves this city. And so, you know, we want to start here and then grow. And I'm not going to say that's the wrong approach, because usually most often enough, especially when you don't have a lot of locations, you can pretty much intuitively know where those first locations have to be. Um, we love to then back it up with the data and the analytics to say, okay, you know what, you want to open up a store here and guess what? You're right. It's on our top five list of target markets that you should be thinking about as you expand. But it really gets tricky once you've opened up those 10, 15, 20 stores and you're like, where do we go next from here? Because then you can't really just throw a dart on a map. You really need to understand the best strategy to move forward. Um, I think it also um, understanding the size of the store. So you want to make sure that, you know, your, you know, your basically your overhead costs are matching, you know, where you should be. And that's going to bring you that revenue lift that you're looking for when you open a new store. And so, um, you know, we generally see new brands start small, you know, maybe between 600 and 800 square feet um, and then enlarge from there once they recognize, OK, this experience is working, this one not so much. Or, you know, maybe the consumer journey and the flow needs to shift and, you know, these products should pull forward, these products we don't need. Um, and then some brands also recognize the need to go to more of a showroom model or maybe the showroom model isn't working and having only a few products on the floor isn't helping them. So. I think all of those considerations come into play um, and will help them determine how, you know, how successful they are. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all about those first few stores to really test the consumer journey and learn what's going to be best for the brand. Yeah. You also mentioned that they're very well versed in terms of, you know, data and analytics uh, coming from their, you know, online side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that translate into the physical world? You know, are they looking for sort of analog types of things to measure, or is it an entirely new kind of you know set of data points that they have to collect? Uh, I think it's a real combination of both. And you know, when we 
when we work with these brands, we see that we can put together a location strategy, you know, grounded in data that they already have, and then layer on from there other other um, data points and elements that they should consider along the way. So um, it also makes it a lot easier for their capital partners to green light their growth plans uh, to brick and mortar for them to have these types of plans. So you know, we'll collect their e-commerce data, anything, maybe they have one or two stores already. So there's some insights that you can pull there on sales figures, products that are popular, um, always learning about the consumer. So we'll take data variables like customer segmentations. They've got their core customer that they know this product sells to. Um, They might have an aspirational customer or, you know, one that kind of sits on the fringe um, different demographics that bode well for them um, and play a part in the business's success. Um, then also, you know, that national migration patterns that we just talked about will definitely take that into account. Um, and then sometimes there's other macroeconomic trends that might impact their um, their success. We'll also take a look at things like co-tenancy synergy. So, you know, what type of brands um, bring in the same customer as the brand we're working with or yeah. who's their competition, you know, who are their competition? What does the market saturation look like already? And, you know, what's the room for growth there? Um, so we'll take a lot of that information. We will score different markets. We score down to trade areas um, so that, you know, when we hand them off to our local brokers who really have that that intimate boots on the ground knowledge, they can come up with a really nuanced rollout strategy that's going to work for them. Yeah, yeah. And during this time, Alana, what what has surprised you? What have been some sort of moments of like, oh, that's interesting that you've kind of discovered along this path? You know, I think that's such a good question, but I think what surprised me truthfully is the, the willingness of people to take a risk on their ideas, on a new business endeavor, on a new product, you know, I just the sheer number of new and emerging brands that we've come across and just, you know, heard of that's growing that are being, you know, being successful at what they're doing. Um, it's just been really interesting. And the innovation that we're seeing in the shopping experience that they've been able to provide, um, you know, just I'm just thinking of be some examples but like you know women's lingerie we're seeing just a lot going on in that space i mean i love rihanna's savage x fenty i think it's like brilliant what they're doing um in athleisure you know that's a category that i thought would quiet down by now and (laughs) not so much (laughs) not so much i mean we're we've seen viore is a california-based um athleisure brand roan is a new one um beyond yoga which is my favorite uh, was just purchased by Levi's, um, Sweaty Betty from um, the United Kingdom. So a lot, a lot of interesting things, and then um, also some really cool collaborations um, that have surprised me. You know, Gucci and Adidas. Um, one of the one of the coolest ones that I've heard of lately is Fendi and Versace. They're coming out with Fendachi. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so. So that's kind of, I think, what's surprised me the most. And then also just how consumers have really resumed shopping behaviors after the pandemic. I've spoken to so many friends that were like, I'm never going back into an enclosed mall again, you know, 
it's never going to happen. Of course, I would never say that. But, um, but you know, then you see foot traffic and how, how it's really come back and it's been holding. So, so, um, so yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of surprising things going on. Yeah. Are there certain brands that, you know, maybe you don't want to name them specifically, but, you know, you can sort of at least give us the category that, that have executed really, really well that you think are, you know, should be exemplars in the industry in terms of, you know, how, how to tackle this, you know, next uh, phase of our, uh, you know, evolution? Well, I will say in the experiential category, that's just a category in general that's done really well. And um, it was in an upward trajectory before the pandemic. And now in in this year, 2022, we've really just seen it bounce right back. We think it's going to be full steam ahead next year and an area where it'll kind of be recession proof in a way. I think, you know, there's a lot of pent up demand for different experiences, Um, and so we're seeing, you know, a lot of exciting new, um, innovations and experiential. Um, I've been hearing a lot about this, like pickleball and chicken concept. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I haven't heard of that one. (laughs) And, and, you know, bringing that F and B into experiential too. And I think that's been really, really interesting. There's, um, there's this one, um, kind of kids, kids experiential concept called the slumu institute that's in new york right now and um would love to see them expand but they basically it's basically a slime museum for kids and um you go in and you see these huge colorful slime sculptures and there's areas for um for kids to go and you know play play and create their own slime sculpture sculptures um, so a lot of concepts like that, a lot of interesting innovations around um, kids' daycare, and um, we're, we're working with uh, a company who's bringing a cooking class into the mix there and just okay. dynamic um, experiences around food. So, um, so yeah, I'd say those are that, that's an interesting category to me right now and one that I think is just doing extremely well. Yeah, yeah. As you look into, you know, 2023 and beyond, um, you know, maybe this is a bit of a cliche question, but, you know, what are some you know, drivers of the industry, some trends that you can identify that will, you know, really going to be relevant, you know, for, for you know, retail here in the next, you know, three years, five years? Yeah, um, I think the trend of sustainability that we're seeing on both the consumer side as well as the retail side is a big focus. And I think that's going to shape things going forward. Um, You know, we're seeing this new wave of conscious consumers who are really focused on sustainability and doing what's good for the planet. Um, They're looking for sustainable products. They're looking to shop in environments that feel sustainable. Um, And in fact, I just spoke to an architect that does that type of work where every, every element of what they do, they're trying to make sure is, um, you know, reducing their carbon footprint and, and somehow, um, giving back in some way so that they're not, um, they're not, they're not producing extra waste. Um, I think that's true also in the products, you know, you look at what H and M is doing with their sustainable fashion line. That's really interesting. And then there's the re-commerce movement, which is like a whole thing in and of itself. Um, and I think there's, that's going to be something huge going forward. Um, you know, I, Lululemon just announced that they're, they're coming out with their re their resale program, which they partnered with a company called Trove, okay. um, to provide infrastructure so that 
they can um, they can own their own e-commerce, I should say, re-commerce program within the brands. Um, so that's interesting to me because normally you would see you know, eBay's or, you know, I know the real, real is a big, is a big re-commerce brand and you would see a third party take that on. Yeah. I was going to ask if, if you could just sort of really quickly describe what re-commerce is, is this a sort of the notion of kind of, you know, you know, used clothing or used items that were bought sort of being resold again, right? Kind of having an an extended life. Is that, is that sort of the basics of it? Exactly. Exactly. And I think ThreadUp is a company that's really doing an incredible job there in terms of innovations in that sector. And it's really kind of a new sector. I mean, if you think back to like, I guess it was in the nineties, we had eBay, that was like the OG of re-commerce and, you know, where people could post their items and resell them. Um, But, you know, move forward to today, there's been a lot of, um, expansion in that, in that sector. We've got, um, the real, real is, is, is one and their brick and mortar spaces, their stores, you don't even feel like you're in a re-commerce store, a resale store. You know, you feel like you're in a luxury, a luxury yeah. store offer all these different luxury brands. So that's really interesting. And then you've got tons in the technology side. Um, I love my Poshmark and trade Z and those are, you know, a kind of like the next evolution of eBay with apps and easy ways to post and, and resell items. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting space going forward. And ThreadUp has a whole program where they send you a bag and you put all your clothes in there and send it back to them. And it also provides a big um, opportunity on the industrial side, I think, because, you know, you have to have the in- infrastructure in place to take in all this, uh, you know, all these used goods and, and figure out what's going to be um, you know, good for resale and what's not. So, um, yeah. What sort of strikes me about our conversation so far, um, Lana, is we haven't mentioned the word Amazon or you know Walmart or um, you know you know Costco, right? What some of these big kind of e-tailers, retailers, and how do they fit into the sort of mix of all of this? Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, Amazon is the largest online marketplace, and it's just an incredible uh, area of growth. Um, Walmart, Target, they're continuing to do incredibly well. And I think, you know, we're seeing so much in the way of innovation with how these brands are meeting their consumer and meeting them with the convenience factors that they're looking for. I mean, you think about the innovations in technology and what they've been able to do with um, buying online and then going to the store to pick the item up or, you know, take returns from their e-commerce sales. Uh, there's so much going on there that they're able to do to meet their consumer. And I think, you know, what you mentioned about how it becomes a retail experience, there's really another trend that I think is going to be shaping um, the industry in the coming years, you know, the blurring of designated uses in the retail landscape, um, food and beverage is being incorporated to retail locations. Uh, my, one of my favorites actually is Ralph's Cafe inside, inside of Ralph Lauren on Madison Avenue in New York. It's just so lovely to be able to sit and have your breakfast and then go shopping in that beautiful store. Um, but we're seeing a lot of the blurring of lines there. And then you've got retail events like fashion shows that are being held at trendy new restaurants um, that, you know, it's just again, becoming a retail experience in a food and beverage environment. So a lot going on there. And then um, we're seeing experiential technology being incorporated into stores, um, woven into traditional amenity retail, 
Um, so a lot going on in the technology side. And I, somebody was telling me recently about robot nail technicians. Okay. I, <laughs> All right. They just announced in Rockefeller Center. Um, they're going to have re- a robot nail technician salon where, you know, it's kind of like that frictionless experience coming out of the pandemic where it's just, um, you know, like germ free because you're not sitting in front of a person. Right. Um, so right. a lot of a lot of technology um, woven into different experiences so that blurring of lines is really um, is really changing right now and changing the landscape. So um, to your point about about moving movie theaters. Uh, I definitely think that there's going to be um, a lot of opportunity for, you know, bringing a retail experience into all types of entertainment environments. Yeah. So um, uh, given our conversation here, Alana, what I've as, as I've heard you talk, I mean, you have described your you know earlier you know, life as, you know, being able to, you know, I mean, literally walk to neighborhoods and sort of understand sort of what what is what is happening on the on the street physically, right? You are describing your understanding of technology, of demographics, of you know trends, not just in fashion, but in you know people behavior, right? You're describing uh, an understanding of the e-commerce um, and sort of you know you know technology in sort of general, right? Um, how does one get into your business? Um, you know, what advice would you maybe give sort of somebody who's really trying to get into this world, you know, how they could do that successfully? Well, I think, um, it does come, I think it has a lot to do with having an open mind, having this sort of growth mindset, um, and that there's, really no limit to what area of the industry that you should pursue or even stay within one particular industry. I think that, you know, as you start along your career path, the skills and the strengths and mindset that you, um, that you evolve can really be applied in so many different directions um, and ways if, if you have the courage to move outside your comfort zone and try something new. Uh, I would say to our industry, it's really a lot of it comes down to networking, to just look at meeting people and looking to see who's in your immediate network that you can reach out to. Um, Try to really get to understand what your strengths are and play to those strengths and just try to meet people hear their story, understand their career journey. In fact, I'm, I'm part of our mentorship program, um, our Women's Integrated Network at Cushman Wakefield, and I'm mentoring um, a senior brokerage coordinator in San Francisco. And, um, you know, we had a great conversation the other day about, you know, what he knows he's good at, where his interests are, where he believes, you know, maybe he would be a good fit. And from there, it's just about being connected to the right people who are in those roles to really learn about their journey, see that it's there's no one straight path there, um, and really just be open to um, to meeting new people and being honest about what you're looking to do. And, and I think, you know, and kind of take it from there. Wonderful. Well, um, Alana, it's been really great hearing about what's happening in the retail sector. Um, Sounds like a lot of innovation, a lot of exciting stuff going on. Um, I guess you couldn't be in a better place if uh, you want to be in commercial real estate. So thanks. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to The Real Perspectives Podcast. 
Stories like these help us shape our understanding of the industry, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to it. Please follow us on any app where you get your podcasts and tell your colleagues about us. Thank you in helping us spread the word about our work and the industry that is changing the face of business. Mm-hmm.